We are continuing in our study of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, what I kind of consider to be the Mount Everest, if you would, of Paul's letter, this deep theological treatise where he is expositing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was struck as Bill read the word from Genesis 17 earlier, where it talked about the Lord appeared to Abram who later became Abraham. And the Lord doesn't appear to us in that way today, but in a sense, he does appear to us. You know how he appears to us? Through his word. That's how he's actually present amongst us, his word and his spirit, his word that is living and active. That means right now, this is not just mere kind of passing on of information. God, through his word, applied by the Spirit, is acting upon your lives right now, which is why we go before him, we acknowledge our need to depend upon him, we acknowledge our need that he would illumine our hearts and our minds as we appear before him, as he acts upon us through his living and active word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you, and we ask that you would open our hearts, and our minds to understand your word. To not just understand its uh, truth, but to see its application. That we'd be changed and be transformed by your word. We thank you, Father, for your promise to act upon us through your living and active word. May we surrender to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading that the teaching is based upon this morning comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, let's review real quickly where we are in our study of this monumental book. Remember, I've been saying Paul at heart is a missionary. He's called the apostle to the Gentiles. Just to give you a little New Testament history, Peter was considered the apostle to the Jewish people. Paul's task was to take the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to spread it throughout the entire Mediterranean world, especially amongst the Gentile population. I know we like to think of him largely as a theologian, largely writing a systematic theology, but at heart he is a missionary and he is a church-planting pastor wanting to see the Lord raise up and establish congregations, churches, especially among the Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean world. And so he has made his base of operations thus far, the city of Antioch, which sits, if you think of your geography, this is why I was 
wish sometimes I was better at PowerPoint. I could have a map up there and show you. Antioch basically sat on the Mediterranean Sea and all that. And where did he want to go? He wanted to go across it because he wanted to spread westward. If you read in the end of Romans, chapter 15 particularly, he said his plans were to go to Spain after taking a particular offering to Jerusalem to help the poor that were affected by a recent famine there. So he wanted to go westward, and what he wanted to do was basically introduce himself to this church that he has not yet been able to physically visit. But here they are. This is the capital of the Roman Empire, the cosmopolitan center of the Mediterranean world. And as one commentator put it, what he wanted to give them was a word of exhortation, a masterpiece of missional theology, culturally savvy apologetics, Christological exegesis, pastoral care, theological exposition, and artful rhetoric, all designed to win over the audience to Paul's gospel, to support his mission in Spain, to draw Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome together, to strengthen them in the faith despite the perils of Roman culture, and to encourage his audience to identify with the apostle to the Gentiles as he goes to Jerusalem. This writer continues, he says, the purpose of Romans then is to explore how the gospel creates a community of worshipers from Jews and Gentiles who are united in Christ. Paul cannot be with the Roman Christians for the moment, so in the interim, he gospelizes them. That is to say, he endeavors to cultivate a gospel-soaked faith, spirituality, unity, and mission in the Roman house churches. How's that for a goal? I would love to see Spruce Creek Church gospelized so that if you poked a hole in you, the word of God and the gospel would bleed out. That we would have a gospel-soaked faith, a gospel-soaked spirituality, a gospel-soaked unity, and a gospel-soaked mission. And in where we are, in this part of the text of Romans, Romans chapter 4, where Paul has been talking about the great cardinal central doctrine, the core doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, one is in a right relationship, forgiven and declared righteous, forgiven and counted righteous, not by the quality of your life, not by your performance, not by how well worship went today, not by how you're doing with your self-discipline or your moral rectitude, but simply by the performance and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, where we are now, Paul is basically saying, what are the implications of that doctrine? What does that look like fleshed out? And where we are in Romans chapter 4, he's going to address this in two ways here in the text. He's going to basically present gospel doctrine that overflows into a gospel culture. Don't you love that? Gospel I want us to bleed gospel doctrine, but not for doctrine's sake. Doctrine is to be, if it's true doctrine, it always leads to life. That's the point of the word of God is living and active. It's true doctrine is never a dead doctrine. True doctrine always overflows in a life, and that life is a gospel culture. And in a sense, this is a very practical issue because the issue that 
Paul is addressing here, what are the implications of justification by faith? Is he's basically answering the question, who are the children of Abraham? Who was in and who was out? And I say this is very practical because we're always wrestling with the question of who was in and who was out. We all struggle with that issue. I'll take some of us back to our high school days. Some of us not too long ago, some of us a long time ago. But think back to your high school days. Whether you'll admit it or not, weren't we always aware who are the cool kids sitting at the cool table? Am I allowed at the cool table? Or the dreaded kickball game? Were you always afraid to be the last? I hated kickball. Couldn't we play basketball? See, I was good at basketball. But I wasn't ever good at kickball. You're going to be the last one picked? You know what's going on in wrestling? We're questioning the issues of who's in and who is out. Paul is addressing that because that is the implication of this doctrine of justification by faith. Okay? Let's take a look first at the gospel doctrine and then some of the implications of that in a gospel culture. In verses 1 through 8, Paul established that righteousness. Let's when he says righteousness of faith. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, when he was talking about the gospel being the power of God, he says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. What is this righteousness? It is essentially a right relationship with God that consists in two halves. First of all, one is the forgiveness of sins, the fact that we are forgiven of all our sins. Something negative, so to speak, is taken away. Our guilt and shame is removed from us. But that's not all there is to a right relationship with God because not only is something negative taken away, something positive is reckoned to us, given to us, declared to us, and that is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which means in the sight of God. And I want you to picture this. I said this last week, and guess what? You need to hear it again. And I'm probably going to repeat it next week because you'll need to hear it again. In the sight of God, we are loved. We are forgiven. And we are perfect in God's sight through the means and the instrumentality of faith, not the quality of our life, not our performance, not our discipline or any sort of moral rectitude, which brings us to verse 9, which begins with, is this blessing... Linked with verses 1 through 8, the blessing of justification, the blessing of righteousness. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, what does that mean? The circumcised and uncircumcised. I know technical terms, but in essence, what they meant, what they indicated, circumcision was the badge of honor the identity marker, if you would, of what it meant to be a Jewish person. That's why I had Bill read from Genesis 17. It had to do with the covenant that God entered into with and instituted with Abraham, and it was the sign of that covenant. It indicated they were in. And so you can see the, Jew now, the church in Rome consists of both Jewish and Gentile believers. So you could see where Paul is talking about where justification is by faith alone, hackles getting up on some of their backs going, well, wait a second, does that mean everybody's in? We're always wanting to build boundaries. So they're kind of going, we can't just let anyone in, right? 
See, the issue that's going on when Paul says, well, is this blessing, he's describing the implications of the doctrine, is this blessing then only for the Jewish people or also for the Gentiles? Which, by the way, they called them Gentile dogs. So these are two people groups that were not exactly fond of each other. Okay, this is like, you know how I love the New York Yankees? This is like the Yankees and the Red Sox. Okay? Paul is basically asking Yankee fans, is this blessing also for Red Sox and Red Sox fans? See that? Somebody's getting it. My good friend Mike over here is getting it. Because Paul's question is, yes, the blessing is unequivocally for Jews and Gentiles alike. See, friends, this is the gospel doctrine. See, look at how, follow with me, look how Paul makes his case. Okay, in verse 9 he says, is this blessing for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Then the second half of verse 9 he says, well, let's look at our father Abraham. And we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And they're like, so far so good, we're with you. And he continues verse 10, he says, how was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? He's making a chronological argument. He says, when was faith counted to him as righteousness? When was he in a right relationship with God? Before or after receiving the sign? And he says it was not after, but before he was circumcised. So then he moves on to say, what is the point of circumcision? And the first part of verse 11 says, well, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So in other words, it was not a means of receiving covenantal grace. It was a means of grace where it signifies your relationship. So it's important, but it's not necessary for salvation. And then the end of verse 11 and verse 12 basically says, well, what's the purpose of all this? And look at this. He says the purpose. Here's why. Was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That means to make Abraham the father of Gentiles, so that righteousness could be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, that is, Jewish people, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Look at this. Paul is saying, so the purpose, here's the mind of God behind all of this. The mind of God was to create one family made up of Jews and Gentiles, one multi-ethnic, multicultural family that would be united by faith in Christ. That means if you are a Gentile, you don't have to adopt Jewish culture in order to enter the faith. The requirement for equal footing, equal privileges, equal responsibilities, equal membership is faith in Jesus Christ. See, here's the gospel doctrine. The gospel doctrine is that God has one story. You know, I get to that. That's a sermon title, by the way. God has one story with one family united in his son, Jesus Christ, to carry out God's redemptive mission. And God's one family is one multi-ethnic, multicultural family. That is the gospel doctrine. What's the gospel culture that flows out of that? What is the gospel culture flowing out of gospel 
doctrine. Well, let me just mention a couple of different things. You know, it's interesting. Many commentators believe, and I don't know if you've noticed this in your own Bible reading, but have you ever noticed how much in common the books of Romans and Galatians have in common with each other? They're both talking about issues like justification by faith, acceptance because of Christ and Christ alone, apart from works, apart from the works of law. They both talk about being heirs and offspring of Abraham. And there's this very interesting verse in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that says this. Paul writes, and it's a very strong verse if we understand its implications. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now let me break that down. It says, for in Christ Jesus, see, this is what a gospel culture will look like. Neither circumcision, think about what that means, that which identifies a person as Jewish, your very badge of honor, your cultural marker. Then he relativizes the whole thing, nor uncircumcision, he's you Gentiles, that which, your badge of honor, that which makes you who you are. Neither one of those things count for anything. And the Greek word there that's used for count for anything is a very strong word. It means irrelevant. Irrelevant. It's saying God doesn't care about all your other identities, all these other things. He's unifying you. The only thing that counts is faith in Jesus Christ that will express itself. So here's what gospel doctrine will always lead to is a gospel culture of love as the expression, as the overflow, as the outpouring of our faith. A true faith will always work through love. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. See, what is he saying? In in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, neither, neither of those things will be your righteousness. Christ alone is to be your righteousness. What hinders gospel culture? Well, one of the primary things that hinder gospel culture are all the things we, in our functional life, not necessarily our gospel doctrine, not necessarily our theology, but how we live, what we substitute for righteousness. Now, I'm not saying we're being legalistic and trying to earn our salvation by that. We know better. But functionally, We substitute things to project an image because of how we want others to think of us and how we want to think about ourselves. And at that functional level, we're substituting those things and they're becoming our functional righteousness. Things like the approval of others. What others think of us. Popularity. Maybe our family's health. Maybe always being right. Maybe our politics. Maybe our nationality. Any of the, I mean, one of the things we have to learn, I remember going through the Sonship Discipleship course years ago and we were studying this particular verse, looking at this. These are the implications of justification. All of this is part of the study of justification by faith. And we were taught, substitute those things. So, for in Christ Jesus, neither what other people think of me nor what I think of me, counts for anything. Only faith expressing itself through love. 
or for in Christ Jesus, neither my politics nor my lack of politics counts for anything. Only faith working itself through love. What are the things that you put to substitute for righteousness? These are the ways you particularly relate. I can't answer that for you. But are you willing to examine your heart and examine your functional idols at that level of life to say, what do you put it? Maybe it's the need to be right. For in Christ Jesus, neither being right nor not being right has any value, counts for anything, only faith in Christ Jesus. Which leads me, so what is the next part of a gospel culture? It'd be a culture of faith. What is faith anyway? Think about it. Because the text said, verse 12, Abraham is the father of those who walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. So we need to ask ourselves, what was the faith of Abraham? Well, if Scripture truly doesn't interpret Scripture, which I believe it does, it's kind of a hallmark of our reformational theology, Hebrews chapter 11 has often been called kind of the, the heroes of faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith for us. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convic the conviction of things not seen. And I love how one commentator put it. He wrote, faith is a firm conviction that what we hope for will one day happen. Faith is confidence about a future that to many observers looks futile. And I can liken it this way, because faith is not a blind faith. It is a well-reasoned faith. I'll give this illustration. I can remember being a leader in young life years and years ago when I was first starting my ministry. And we went to it one summer, we went to a Young Life camp out in Colorado Springs. And one of the things we had to do was to take all of the high school students rappelling. You know what rappelling is? Have you ever seen rappelling before? You get hooked to this kind of harness and you step off a cliff backwards. Now, I'm from the city, have always been from the city. I don't like rappelling. Yet, I was a leader. I had to do this for the other kids to do this. Believe me, this was not going to be a blind faith. I was reasoning out and checking every aspect of that harness. You sure you got me? I was talking to the guy holding the other end. I want to see your guns. I want to see how strong you are. You better have me if I'm stepping off this cliff. Believe me, I was reasoning out that. But here's the other thing. Not only is it not a blind faith, but it's not an abstract or theoretical faith. Have I exercised faith, even after I've reasoned out, if I don't take the step off the cliff? I have to take the step off the cliff. That's an act of faith. That's a true faith, trusting in the faithfulness of the line. We step off the cliff, trusting in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Trusting that it is his word, not your feelings. It is his word, not your performance. It is his word that says you are forgiven, loved, and perfect in God's sight. Do you think I feel forgiven, loved, and perfect every moment of the day? I feel quite the opposite 99% of the time. You want, I'll give you a window into Jeff Birch's prayers most of the time. It's like, God, your word says this. This doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to surrender to it. 
forgiven, loved, and perfect in your sight? Having the right, I sit there and I go, according, okay, what does that feel like? Stepping off the cliff. Doesn't make sense, but I reason it out. Why? Because I trust the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in his word. And lastly, the overflow of gospel doctrine into a gospel culture will be a culture of belonging. Think about this. If the blessing, the text tells us the blessing is not only for the circumcised but the uncircumcised. The blessing, which means belonging, is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Not, so for a Gentile, that means you don't have to adopt Jewish culture to be accepted. So one of the things we have to do is we have to think, what cultural preferences do we put that can be a hindrance or a block to a culture of belonging? Because you know what? Everybody longs to belong. Everybody wants to belong and to be known. And remember what the text says. The purpose of this is that Abraham would be the father of the uncircumcised to all who believe, and Abraham would be the father of the circumcised to all who walk in the footsteps of faith. So belonging is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Not how you look, not your dress, not your music style, not anything that's a cultural prep, which means one of the hard questions we have to ask ourselves, because we'll put a lot of things and say, well, that's the word of God. Hmm, maybe, maybe not. We have to ask ourselves, what is truly the word of God and what is our cultural preference? Because the word of God is saying... Belonging is based on faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Jesus Christ. So as one writer put it, this is the issue of Romans 4. Who is in and who is out? Who gets to put up the fences around the farm and who gets to decide who lives on it? Sadly, as another writer pointed out, that sort of rivalry about who is worthy and who isn't has been wired into our DNA since Cain and Abel. But the Romans 4 story of Abraham, faith, and justification is about belonging. Paul employs the example of Abraham to demonstrate how God embraces us in his grace in Jesus Christ and establishes us as full and equal members of God's forgiven family. We bring nothing in our hands to make us worthy to be in that family, but we do not have to. For God has made us worthy by receiving his own son in whom we apprehend holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Friends, let us go to the Lord's table and experience that embrace. Father, this is a challenging word and I pray that you would teach us what hinders us from being that kind of culture, that kind of family. Father, we thank you that it is the work of Jesus Christ and him alone that unites us. May we be united in Jesus Christ. And now as we come to your table, we do ask and we do pray, as you've spread out your table of your hospitality towards us, that we'd surrender to your embrace of us because of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.